0: Hey everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. My name is Matt Love. I'm here with J.D. Greer. And J.D., I'm going to ask the question and then give a little bit of context. But the question today is, do you partner in ministry with people you disagree with? And I, I know we both know that some churches and people, they just, they never partner with any other churches or any other pastors who don't fall like exactly in line with every single theological belief that they have. Um, where do you land on that? Do you do you partner in ministry with people that you disagree with?
1: Yeah, you know, this is actually a really relevant question because I just got asked this because we had at our church a guy named John Mark Comer, who is a, a, a friend um, who was here, and people said, hey, you know, isn't he an egalitarian, which means somebody that believes that women can be pastors, and and because we disagree with that here at the Summit Church, you know, we were compromising truth and bringing him here. Um, well, I mean, a couple things. First, actually, he's not an egalitarian. Um, he they, they believe the author office of elder is reserved for men. Um, they believe the word pastor can be used outside of the office of elder. I, I actually disagree with that. I think the, the office of, of elder and office of pastor in the Bible are the same, but um, they, they use the word pastor much like we do the word minister. Um, again, I disagree with that, but it's actually not egalitarian. Um, so that's on one hand, but on the other hand, even if you were an egalitarian, I didn't have him here to teach on those things. Um, he didn't espouse anything that we disagree with as a church. But was it if somebody was in that category, do you, what level of uniformity do you demand to be able to partner together in ministry? What's compromising truth? Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, we had her here earlier this year. We disagree on on some baptism issues and, you know, church membership type of issues, but we had her here and uh, you know, we greatly um, benefited from her. Uh, I will say that that, That theological diversity, friends and different movements have greatly enriched my life. I I grew up independent Baptist, um, which, by the way, uh, independent Baptist, we weren't really friends with anybody. We were always coming up with uh, reasons to separate, even two or three degrees of separation. I've got to separate not just from the person who's making the error, but I've got to separate from you. If you know the person and are friends of the person, so anyway, I grew up independent Baptist. Then I married a Presbyterian. Um, my roommate in college was a, a Pentecostal. I always say that means that that I was predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner. That's my diversity. But clearly, there's a there's a limit because we are also called called to guard our our life and our doctrine. There's a theologian named Michael Bird who breaks down different theological truths into, into, into three primary categories. I actually found this helpful. He said, first of all, there are matters essential for salvation. And on those matters, that's a place where we have to have agreement. Uh, the person of Christ, the way of salvation, salvation by by faith. I was once part of a global meeting of Christian leaders who, who wanted to issue this joint statement on Christian witness, and so they produced a five-page document called Christians and Evangelism in the 21st Century. It was supposed to be a unifying document among people from different, different traditions. Um, it was essentially a bunch of progressive political talking points. Um, and I read all five pages and there literally was not a single word about the necessity of faith in the finished work of Christ for salvation. And it was a statement on evangelism. And so in one of the open dialogue sessions, I asked the the document authors about it. And, um, the spokesperson said, he said, well, no, 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 we don't want this to be theologically divisive. You know? And I was like, so in our joint statement on evangelism, we don't even want to divide around the the specifics of the gospel. That's a place we have to divide. I mean, the Apostle Paul would say, if even an angel from heaven taught something different about the gospel that I'm teaching, then they are to be accursed. So Paul would divide over this. If you don't believe these things that are essential for salvation, then um, that's a place where we really can't tolerate error. I would not partner together in ministry with somebody that disagreed there. But category number two for for Michael Bird, is he says are matters that are important to the faith and important to the church, though they're not essential for salvation, uh, the inerrancy of the Bible, our, our understandings of morality and gender and and marriage, these things are also a basis where you need a relative amount of unity. They're, they're almost always spelled out in Scripture. They're strong convictions. Then there, are, number three, are what what he calls matters of indifference. Those are non essentials, debatable things, preferences, opinions. Um, you know, the Greek word for opinion is is twitter. I think that's the the right pronunciation, but that's where people express those things. It, it might be doctrines that are just not as not as central or as clear, like the finer points of Calvinism. It, it could be things, and these are matters of indifference. And you've got to know what what category these different truths go into. Romans fourteen says very clearly that we are not to divide over inconsequential disputed matters. Um, Paul, you know, in Romans fourteen talks about. Um, an issue in the that early church about whether or not you could eat meat offered to idols. Now Paul actually had a conviction on it. He reveals it there. He revealed that he's on team meat eater, and he even says he even calls the people who disagree with him. He calls them weak spiritually. Um, so Paul is not unclear about it. But Paul said, "I would rather downplay that conviction than I would cause division and harm in the church." There are certain things when it comes to these less central doctrines. Um, the, how we apply it in the, the realm of political matters, some of these other things where we just we say, I'm, I'm, I have my conviction, I'm not going to compromise that, but rather than wearing that conviction on my sleeve or demanding uniformity in it, I am going to instead um, prioritize the unity of the body of Christ. Um, Matt, wisdom is knowing what truths to put in what category, what to hold with a closed hand and what to hold with uh, with an open hand. And really different kinds of partnership and ministry are going to demand different, different uh, levels of uniformity or the way, um, you know, an academic would say it is different levels of ecumenism. Ecumenism, unity among the, the broader body of Christ demands different kinds of theological conformity. For example, um, if we're going to march here for pro-life um, values here in the city of Raleigh, you know, I can join up with, with really any good hearted person who, who cares about justice. Um, you know, whether they, they could be Buddhist, they could be Muslim, they could be atheist. If we care about justice for the unborn or justice in some other arena, you know, we could link up if we're going to do an evangelism rally though, then yeah, I can't join up with all those same people. Uh, I could be friends with them, but I'm not going to try to communicate that we're going to do a big, big prayer, spiritual awakening rally when we have very different understandings of what the gospel is. There are a lot of Christian traditions that I could not be comfortable doing evangelism rally with because I'm afraid if we communicated, we all believe the same thing, and then people go back to those churches, they're going to hear something entirely different that would take them away from the gospel. Um, But it demands a, a you know an evangelism rally demands a closer conformity than. Than justice, you know, type of work. Uh, then you've got church planting. Our church cooperates with a lot of other churches. Uh, well, I mean that demands more conformity than an evangelism rally. There you're going to get into questions of um, what kind of church governance should there be, and what about baptism, and and is it okay for you know is it only men that should be pastors, and that requires a different level of conformity. Um, then you got you know church membership uh, and church membership. If we're all going to be in one covenant body, that that might demand even a little higher level of conformity. Our church cooperates and helps plant churches and send missionaries with with other churches. Some of whom may not be comfortable being a part of our church because of the approach we take toward um, toward Calvinism or toward uh, you know what we consider some of these um, these important but secondary matters. Church staff probably requires the most uh, conformity out of all of them because, you know, we want to choose a team that we think like-minded enough. I mean, even when it comes to something like um, is multi-site an acceptable type of ecclesiology. Uh, well, around here at our church, we have a staff that thinks generally the same on that. Otherwise, you would be pointing, you'd be pulling a bunch of different directions. So that's a very practical, practical. Different levels of ecumenism require different kinds of theological conformity. And wisdom is knowing what weight to give what doctrine, and knowing what things you have to unite around, and you cannot compromise in not a bit. What things you need to hold loosely, and say, "Hey, our love of Jesus and our love of the mission." is actually more important in this moment than our, our uniformity over this matter. It doesn't mean you give up your conviction. It just means you put more weight on the on the gospel and the mission than you do that, that secondary matter. Wisdom is knowing how to navigate your way between those.
0: Well, guys, uh, as we kind of wrap up, uh, I just want to let you know that your support, whether it's financial donations or prayer or just engaging with the content that we share um, it, it just allows us to expand our ministry and share the hope of the gospel to more people in new places and in new ways. And so as we close out 2021, we would love for you to just consider a year-end tax-deductible gift to our ministry. Um, we even have a resource that you can check out on jdgreer.com uh, that we'll send you as a free gift for your donation. And, and like I said, it's just a great way to, to, to really be a part of sharing the hope of the gospel uh, here in the, in the U.S. and around the world.